This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. is it just me it's episode 403 of the down and nerdy podcast i'm james with as we dig out of more snow here at the down and nerdy podcast studios i wanted to make sure that there was something you were streaming this weekend and that is in from the cold on netflix it is a spy thriller it's set in spain about a russian spy well she's a mom now and she was a russian spy and it's just a whole thing that is just Really, really cool. I think you'll love. We'll talk to series creator Adam Glass. Also, we'll talk to the stars Margarita Laviva about this really, really cool show. I'm not sure that Jason Bourne could have kicked this much ass with a C-section scar. I'm just saying, this woman is pretty amazing. Also going to be talking about the new show on Amazon Prime Video, The Legend of Vox Machina. I'll give you my review of that coming up. Also, some interesting nerd news to tackle. But first, let's talk about In From The Cold on Netflix. My interviews with the cast and creator are up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Chad Michael Collins from Extinct and Sony Sniper Franchise. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to shift the way you think about spy thrillers. It is In From The Cold, now streaming on Netflix, a really cool new series about a Russian spy who's turned mom, who now turns back to spy because, you know, a little bit of an arm twisting from the CIA. There is so much more to the show that meets the eye. So I thought I'd get the cast together and series creator give you a little bit more info about the show. I think this is something you're really going to dig and who better to start with than series creator Adam Glass and... Jenny herself, Margarita Laviva. Let's find out what they had to say about the show. Adam, I'll start with you. I love a good spy thriller. You have a lot of interesting aspects, though. 
to the story. Talk about how you came up with this concept and why Margarita right there is just the perfect choice to play Jenny. You know, I turned around and I am old enough now that we're empty nesters. My wife and I have been married for 23 years and my wife is in her mid forties. And I was watching sort of like the idea of like, you know, kids are leaving, what's next for her, her life, you know? And we have this thing in our society, which is terrible, which is, you know, women have an expiration date on them and that's so not true. And so I started to look at what my wife's going through and thought, well, cause I'm a writer, of course, I'm like, what if my wife was a secret spy and she had a secret life and, you know, and all these things. And then it got called back and she had to sort of, can she go back and be that person? No, of course not. She would have to be who she is now, but do things that she used to do. And it sort of just all got into this idea of like that women of a certain age still kick ass and moms kick ass and, you know, all those things. And then, you know, we were very fortunate to meet Margarita, uh, who actually was one of the few actresses that actually came into the writer's room and sat with all the writers and, and talked to us during the audition process. And two things happened. One, when she left, all the writers went crazy and said, oh my God, it's Margarita, it's Margarita. And the other thing was, as I was walking Margarita out, she turned to me and said, it'd be nice if a Russian actually played a Russian <laughs> in TV or the movies. And I thought, right? Really right. right? 100%. So we were really blessed and lucky to get Margarita Laviva, Miss Laviva, living La Vida. And to turn around and, you know, she was perfect for this. And one of the other things you said to me, Margarita, which I always remember is how much you not only related to the script, but how much it sort of identified a lot of your, especially in the flashbacks, your own childhood in Russia. So all those things, we were just really lucky and blessed to get the right, the perfect actress for this role. Thank you. And Margarita, what's it like playing that duality for you? Because you've got Jenny on one side, you've got this whisperer on the other. What was it like playing those kind of dueling roles there? It's like winning the lottery, <laughs> to be honest, because I feel like human beings, we're not that simple. There's a complexity to all of us and there are many, many sides. And to be able to explore that in the character and to bring that to life over eight episodes was just a massive, massive gift. As I'm watching, I'm, I'm watching, I'm going, is Jenny... Are these two separate people? Are these, is it Jenny and the Whisperer? Are these two separate characters? Or has she just been laying dormant inside of Jenny all along? What do you guys think about that? Well, I think that's a great question, right? And that's a great question that hopefully people, the audience members, as they watch it, ask themselves, like, which parts of me are dormant? Which parts of me did I shut the door on many years ago? Is it still alive? Is it still who I am? Is it something that I'm still drawn to, but won't allow myself, you know? I mean, and I think that's the question that we got to explore through the series, which was also really fun to do. Adam, is that kind of hitting the nail right on the head, do you think? I think she, she nails it right on the head, yeah. I mean, to be able to explore all those things, what makes this special, you know, as I've said before, is like, you know, the spy genre tends to be on the surface, you know? So, but the shows that I really love, like I think why Daniel Gregg was so beloved was he sort of let you into Bond, you know, and sort of showed how messed up he was and all the things that was going on with him. And I think that that's, you know, what we have, you know, uh, happening in our show, which is we get to go more than, you know, it's a great thing when you have eight hours of television, you get to go further and than just scratching the surface, you're able to go underneath it and sort of look into all the things that comes with being a spy, like anything, you know, and by the way, I spoke to a couple of spies and, you know, one, one, one young lady was a CIA agent. She said, you know, I, she's been out of it for 10 years and that she still looks in her rear view mirrors and that she still all the time is looking around her because she's trained. And that training doesn't go away ever, she said to me. And I'll never forget that. You know, it was one of the things that we talked about in doing this role. You know, you asked. The whisper never went away. It was just, it was there. But the minute she needs it, 
as you see in the show, it comes back. And with, with vengeance, too. I will say that. Wait till you guys, wait till you guys see that. But, there, there was one thing that also struck me about, about this that I thought it was really neat, because you don't see a lot of spy series set in Madrid. So why did the city see, kind of seem like the perfect dr backdrop and setting for the story? Tax credit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was going to say. <laughs> uh, listen, we were very fortunate. You know, we got to work with Fresco Films, who uh, has been in Spain for a long time. It's a great production company and all our friends there. It was a, it's an amazing city, as you know, where I think the, everything now is moving into these international productions, you know. And having shot in America and love America and love shooting here, it's also was amazing to go someplace where it's like, you know, I'd love to shoot that castle from 1400. Sure, it's yours, you know. <laughs> it's like that backdrop, the beauty of it, the beauty of the people, the beauty of the city, the beauty of the country. It's like, it's just so amazing. And I do think that indirectly it like, and by the way, we didn't know we were going to shoot in Spain in the beginning. We wrote the scripts. That was not the way they were written because we had no idea. But once they said, what about Spain? And we started looking into it, we're like, oh my God, what a perfect place for this story. No doubt about that. Now, Margarita, we're, we're talking about this transformation into the Whisperer, like Adam said, when she needs it. You've got some crazy fight scenes early on in this series. I mean, and the, the stunts were just, my eyes are popping out of my head here. Did you actually get to do some of your own stunts? And are those early fight scenes just the tip of the iceberg or what we're going to say? Definitely the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> so you got to stay tuned in. Yeah, I was fortunate enough and had to do a lot of pushback <laughs> to do most of my stunts. I, I did most of them. She's the Tom Cruise of our show. I mean, she literally did 99% of her stunts. And the stunt team's amazing. And Caitlin, who was her and my stunt, stunt double, was incredible. Incredible. Um, but Margarita did so many of them. Yeah. You were talking about the flashback scenes, and I actually think that those, you know, people tend to say, oh, flashbacks, we're going to do that. But I actually think that they really matter in this show, and they add a lot to the story. So for you, Adam, how did you balance that? And for Margarita, for you, how much were you aware of what was going on in those flashback scenes to be able to bring that to the character that you're playing in the present day? As I've mentioned before, I don't know if I'm not here today right now, I related a lot to the story when I first read it myself because... I'm an immigrant. I uh, came as a refugee to America when I was 11 years old from Russia. I was trained in Russia as a rhythmic gymnast. And so much of that training and so much of that upbringing really informed the person that I am today, the person that I have been over the last several decades. And, and the person that I had to try to eradicate for many years because it created some negative outcomes in me. And so I got to read all the scripts so of course I knew Jenny's background and to be able to bring that to life and to be able to show the audience yeah like we're, we're you know we're not here by chance uh, we all carry our story and and what it means to live with a story like that and how that plays out and and the thing that Jenny struggles with on a daily basis is still after all these years what that past has created in her and and now being a mother and seeing it in her daughter and wondering if she carries a part of her, I mean, obviously she carries a part of her, she's her daughter, but like which parts and how far are they gonna play out in her life? It's, I think a frightening aspect for many parents. Yeah, I call it the Godfather too. you know, like basically we're gonna use the flashbacks to sort of tell the story of the present and eventually both stories will connect and carry into each other. And I, I loved it. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have an amazing young actress. I'll see if I can do this right, you'll help me. Stasia Milosalavsaka? How do you say it? Just How do you say it? Just do it. Yeah. No, I don't know Stasia's last name. Stasia? Yes. Stasia. Uh -huh. Yeah. She, is, she, she plays young Jenny as Anya. 
and, you know, uh, amazing young actress and the two of them together just, you know, sort of, you know, to see how this character sort of comes together and who, who you were when you were young. You know, I always say, right, like, you know, my, my one act play is I want to revisit myself at 20 and, and have that conversation with myself, you know, and it's like, I always joke, would 20 year old me look at me and say, awesome, or they'd be like, you sell out. <laughs> like, <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, I have no idea what would happen, but. Mm. I love that. I love that. You guys are going to love what you see from In From The Cold on Netflix on January the 28th. Adding Glass, Margarita, La Diva, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let me tell you, when you see these stunts, you're going to be pretty amazed. I know I was. My eyes popped out of my head a couple of times in the first couple of episodes. Once you get later in there, yeah, it it gets even better. And let me tell you, this show is not your typical spy show. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. There's some stuff that's going to keep you guessing. There's also some stuff that's, that's quite surprising later on in the season as well. And the flashbacks really do matter too. And I think they did a great job with that. I also got a chance to talk to Killian O'Sullivan and Charles Bryce about their characters, but the audio was was really distorted. Something went wrong with it. So I apologize. I can't share that with you. I will post something about that on downandnerdypodcast.com. I'll give you a little bit of a transcription version of what they said in that interview to give you even more coverage so you can get that as well, so make sure you check for that at downandnerdypodcast.com. But ultimately, make sure you're watching In From The Cold on Netflix. It is now streaming the first season. Hopefully, we can get a season two. Again, thanks to Adam Glass and Margarita Laviva for joining me to talk about Into The Cold from Netflix. Up next, how about we get a little bit of a review of The Legend of Vox Machina from Prime Video. My review of that's next, spoiler free, on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You backed it, you demanded it, and now it is bigger than you could have possibly expected. The Legend of Vox Machina is finally premiering on Prime Video right now, actually. The first few episodes are up there. I want to give my spoiler-free review of those first few episodes, but first I just want to talk about the journey. That this 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 series has gone on. I mean, it went from a live stream tabletop RPG from Critical Role, then it went to a Kickstarter, which was funded, which almost instantly to get ten episodes, and then Amazon picks it up, gets it another fourteen episodes, and so now we're at twenty four. And then before that, we had some comics from Dark Horse as well. So Vox Machina, the Legend of Vox Machina, has come so so far. It, it, since its beginning, and and couldn't happen to a nicer group too. The the folks at Critical, Critical Role, so fun, so incredibly talented. I'm glad that we finally got this series off the ground. And I will say this: if you're not familiar with Critical Role, or if you're not familiar with these characters at all, the show does a really good job in these first few episodes of introducing you to the characters, giving you an idea of who they all are, and just giving you an idea of why you should be falling in love with these characters in the first place. So yes, this is a jumping on point. I think it is anyway, for anybody that's not quite familiar with these characters and with the series. And what it is, is a bit, it basically it's a group of ragtag mercenaries and they're looking for a job. And, and it's just a very, very interesting group of characters that you have here. And, and I, I mean, just from completely, I mean, you've got Vex and Vax who are kind of a, you know, kind of an arrogant, couple of group but if you want to talk about arrogant i guess percy would be the the way to go or kind of standoffish maybe you've got the really really just intense grog who just wants to kill everybody 
who I love. But I got to tell you, my favorite character of the group, I think, has to be Scanlan Shorthalt. I'm sorry. The guy is just, first of all, probably the, the, the funniest one of the group. Maybe that's debatable. I don't know. But then he's just, you know, he he wants he's, he wants to basically bet every woman in, in the kingdoms. That's that's one thing that he wants to do. But th- there's just so much more to this character. And, of course, the musical number is off the charts as far as I'm concerned. So you, you definitely don't want to miss that part of it. There's there's just so many great, great characters in this with all different sets of powers. You've got magic. You've got healing. You've got so many other things. And then just downright brute force as well. But I got to tell you, Vax, played by Laura Bailey, might be one of the biggest key characters in the early going of this series. So keep your eye on Vex in these first few episodes. But I mean, talk about needing a gig and trying to save the kingdom. I can't tell you what they're trying to save the kingdom from because it's spoiler that I'm not allowed to reveal. But let me just put it this way. This is something you're not going to want to mess with. And this is something that's causing a lot of destruction and quickly and almost seems insurmountable. And then who's responsible for this? It was also really, really interesting. Something that definitely kept me guessing, for sure. And and that's one of the things I love. They try and make you figure out who's behind this, why they're doing it sort of thing, and what the end result that they want it to be. So, I, I, again, I think that that was a really, really fun way to bring about these first couple of episodes. And, and there's some key tie-ins there as well that make it really, really neat. And And just, you know, hey, saving the kingdom, that is that enough? For a group of mercenaries who are out to to just make some cash. Is that something that they're going to want to be up for? Especially when, you know, their lives are potentially at stake now. So I think that that made things really, really interesting in the early going. But I also think they did a really good job of establishing this group of characters early on. Not just making them fun, but giving you a reason to want to root for them. Giving you a reason to kind of sympathize with them. Or feel bad for them, for lack of a better way. Of putting it, and even with each other, there's a line in, in the show. They're like, you know, why are we even together? Why are we a group? And then to see how the, it sort of plays out, and see how the group sort of gels together as things go on, I think was a really, really cool way to go. But you're also going to get some other stories in this first season as well. It's not just this initial story. We're going to get some other stories as things unfold as well and see how this group grows and see exactly how this whole story ends up playing out over this first season. So yes, you're going to get an initial story that I think is going to grab your attention. Once your attention is grabbed, then they're going to move on and start telling a little bit more of the story, which again, you want to talk about great performances. This is a definitely an adult animated series too. I want to make sure that that is very, very clear from the start. This is not, this, this one is not shy about being adult. That is for sure. I won't tell you why, but there, there's definitely a few instances that will make you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So we're doing that. That's hey, and not mad at it, but there's also so many great and talented members of this cast. I mentioned Laura Bailey. You've also got Travis Willingham, who just does an amazing job with Grog, Sam Rigel, who I mentioned as, as Scanlan, Liam O'Brien as Vax is incredible. Talison Jaffe, we've also got Marisha Ray. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Then you've then you've also got the guest stars in this whole thing as well. David Tennant is going to be one of the characters. 
that's going to guest star on the show. You've also got the wonderful Greg Griffin. I mean, I could go on and on and on about how amazing this cast is. And then the animation in this thing is just incredible. So many great effects. So uh, the way that the colors just pop out from the animation, just the vibrancy and pure joy mixed with the badass moments that you get from this show. This is a must watch as far as I'm concerned. Make sure you're watching The Legend of Vox Machina on Prime Video. You're not going to be disappointed whether you're familiar with Critical Role or not. I think that this is one of those shows that's going to make you laugh, keep you guessing, and just really, really let you enjoy the action and this team, which is I think is going to be one of your favorites going forward. And that's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Legend of Vox Machina from Prime Video. Up next, how about we go over to Disney Plus and talk about the new Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild. To talk about that, also spoiler-free next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Blair Redford from The Gifted, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. No better place to go buck wild than on Disney Plus this week. It's time for my spoiler-free review of the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, which is the latest chapter in the Ice Age movies. But this one very much about different characters. So you still have Manny in there. You still have Sid and the gang and Ellie. But this really focuses on Ellie's possum brothers, Crash and Eddie, and of course, Buck, who is in the Lost World. And there's a new character that we get introduced to as well. But this all kind of starts where, now, you know Crash and Eddie, right? They're idiots. Let's just put it out there right now. They're complete idiots. And they are actually getting a little bit restless. And they're like, you know, maybe we should strike out on our own sort of thing. So they do that and they, they go in search of adventure. And this is not a spoiler because it's in the description of the movie. It's in, it's teased in the trailers and things like that. They actually end up in the lost world. So we do go back to the lost world for this one. And that's where they kind of meet up with Buck. Now, you know, you're thinking, okay, cool. This is you know, a nice place to maybe get a little bit of adventure, you know, maybe find a new, a new setting, albeit a kind of an old setting as well, since the, you know, the ice age movies have been there before, but, you know, change of scenery might do them some good, right? Well, apparently it's a bad time for them to be getting there because there's some bad stuff going on in the Lost World with a very, very evil dinosaur with a big brain named Orson. And I won't tell you what Orson's up to or how things sort of unravel there a little bit. But it, it, first of all, you think it's going to be Buck versus Orson. And it kind of is. And of course, along the way, you know, Crash and Eddie like to screw some things up make things a little bit more difficult. But there's a brand new character that we get introduced to in this movie, and that is Z. And to me, that is where the story really, really gets interesting because Z and, and Buck have a past. But this character of Z 
It's very interesting. She and she, she's very very fun. She's she's very take charge. She very much is organized. She knows what she's doing. She's got a lot of skills, sort of thing. And you find out, you know, there's been a little bit of tension between her and Buck, and there's you know maybe some reasons for that. And they, the movie kind of gets into that sort of thing. But that partnership, something really really worked there. Once the movie hits about the halfway point. Then it really, really starts to kick in and starts to work. Because I'll be honest, you know, in the beginning I was kind of drifting a little bit. Am I the biggest fan of Crash and Eddie? Probably not. Because they, they annoy me a little bit. Now, if I'm younger, and that's of course what this, who this movie is targeted to is, is like my seven-year-old, would probably love these guys because they're idiots and they're fun. And that, you know, that's something he kind of drifts to in movies sometimes. And there's, of course, absolutely... Nothing wrong with that because there's that's that's what they're supposed to do. Those are the characters that they're supposed to be. So, but then when you introduce Z, and you know you see Crash and Eddie start to learn some things from Z, they learn some things from Buck as well, and you sort of see Crash and Eddie sort of come in to their own a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong; they don't lose their fun side, they don't lose their idiot side because that's just who they are. But what we do see is a lot of growth for them throughout the movie. And you get to see, you know, a really good addition to the Ice Age movies in Z. I think that this is where you could see a lot more of Z in the future. And she's, you know, she they try to add a little bit of mystery to the character, but it's it's more of a fun, you know, like ha ha type of thing. It's not something that's, you know, really deep or anything like that. I will say that I thought it was interesting that this movie was actually rated PG, and maybe it's because of some of the, you know, some of the. Action scenes can get a little intense, especially with with Orson's crew. And, you know, you kind of see that, okay, maybe, you know, this could be a little bit scary for kids. I didn't think it was actually that scary, to be quite honest. So, you know, if you've got younger, if you've got little ones, this would probably be safe for them. There's nothing over the top in this one, I don't think. I mean, again, there's some pretty intense action. But even the, and I don't want to spoil anything, of course, but even the scarier characters, and I use that term very loosely, are not scary at all, in my opinion. It's very much in line with the other Ice Age movies. I think you, you've seen, you know, the Lost World you know, movie of Ice Age already, and it certainly doesn't go any further than that. As a matter of fact, I think there have been scarier monsters in Ice Age movies before this one. So, again, if you've got little, little ones, I think that they can enjoy this as well. But this one is definitely one, especially if your kids love the Ice Age movies. I think they'll love this as long as, you know, they don't have to see the main characters that they're used to. You still see them, but they are certainly not the focus of this movie. The focus in this movie is very much on Crash, Eddie, Buck, and Z. That is the core group that they're going to be focused on and their, and their little squad and the voice acting in this movie is really, really well done. It's a lot of fun. Simon Pegg, especially, as Buck Wild, does such a great, great job. I really enjoyed his performance. And Justina Machado, let's give a little props for her, for is the voice of Z, because I think that she really, really nailed it on this one as well. And, I mean, Vincent Tong and Aaron Harris as Crash and Eddie, respectively. I mean, if you're going to be goofballs and have fun with it, they certainly, certainly did in this. So th- there was a, there were a lot of great things that worked in this. Could, did it drag on a little bit? Yeah, of course it did because y- you see that yeah, this is going to be a difficult obstacle obstacle to overcome, but you you, you probably could have got there 
a little bit faster. I do like that this movie doesn't rely on fan service and doesn't, you know, just just keep bringing in characters here and there. You do see some familiar faces, but it really focuses on Crash, Eddie, Buck, and Z. And I think that, that was a really, really smart thing to do. And this movie, really perfect for Disney Plus as well. I think we could see a lot more Ice, the Ice Age movies coming up in the future. Maybe also focusing on some different characters. Or, I mean, if this one's successful enough... You might get some more of this story as well. So the Ice Age Adventures of Buckwild, I think a worthwhile addition to the Ice Age movies. And I think that's something that if you have kids, they're definitely going to love this one. So spend some time this weekend watching the Ice Age Adventures of Buckwild. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the adventure of the Ice Age Adventures of Buckwild. Up next, some nerd news to get to and maybe... Just maybe another sequel in the works. I'll talk about it next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Nelson Lee from DC Stargirl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looks like Earthrealm might be in peril once again. It's time for nerd news. Let's start out with something that was first reported by Deadline, and that is that Mortal Kombat, the live action movie, will be getting a sequel. After all, from New Line. And Jeremy Slater, who's writing Moon Knight for Marvel Studios, has actually been hired to write the script for this one. Now, that's basically all we know at this point. Not a huge surprise that this movie's getting a sequel. I didn't love the first one. I didn't hate it either. It was certainly had some cool moments. I thought the casting was done pretty well. But, I mean, where, where you go with this? I think you got to bring in Shao Kahn. At this point, I think you definitely have to do that. I think you'll ex- you'll see an expanded roster of characters, obviously. And, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first one already, in which I shouldn't have to say that. It just sounds like something you have to say now, doesn't it? Even though it's been like a year. Like, come on, do I have to say that every time? Apparently I do. But anyway, how are you going to pay off that big Johnny Cage post credit scene? You have to pay it off. And with all due respect to fans... That want The Miz, WWE's The Miz, to play Johnny Cage? Yeah, I don't see how you can do that. Obviously, he's athletic enough, and certainly he has the the, the swagger that you need to play Johnny Cage in that sort of sarcastic kind of manner. But I don't know. I just, I don't see it. Like, I see it, but I don't see it. And I, I just... <laughs> This is going to get me in trouble, I can already tell. I want somebody better, quite frankly. We've seen we've seen what The Miz can do as an actor. It's not stellar. Do you need to be stellar to play Johnny Cage? Okay, probably not. But at the same time, I look at what Joel McHale's done in the two animated movies that they've done for Mortal Kombat, from Warner Brothers, and, and he does a fantastic job as the voice of the character. Now, is Joel ripped enough and athletic enough to play Johnny Cage in live action? Probably not. I don't know. But I'd rather have Joel McHale than The Miz. I'm sorry. I really would. And I'm not saying that either one of them should play this role. But I just, yeah, seeing seeing The Miz cast as as Johnny Cage just wouldn't work for me. Especially since that's your big post-credit teaser, right? That is your big look what's coming thing. Do you really want The Miz to be cast in that role if that's you're making it a big deal? That this character's coming, right? And then you don't pay that off with with somebody that's a little bit of a bigger name. 
I just, I don't know. And and does it have to be a name necessarily? No, I guess not either. But it has to be somebody with a little bit higher level of skill, I would think, that also has the attitude that you can bring to the table. And, and The Miz certainly is not the only name out there that can do that. And as far as Shao Kahn's concerned, again, probably going to be a lot of CG there. Maybe not. I mean, if you can get somebody ripped like Dwayne Johnson to play the role, which I don't think... I know Dwayne's teasing a video game movie coming up, a game that he's played for years. I don't think he's taken that role. I'm sorry. I just, I just don't. Now, does he have a good relationship with Warner Brothers? Yeah, he does. So it's ob- always possible. For, but first of all, A, I don't know how you fit that in. And B, it, he's past the point of playing the not the lead character in, in a movie like Mortal Kombat. He wouldn't be the lead. He would be by far the biggest name in the movie with no disrespect to anybody else in that cast. And I'm just not sure that this is something that he'd want to do. So I, I do think that there are plenty of options for that role. And I'd be interested to see who ends up getting that role ultimately. But I think it's got to be Shao Kahn. you got to have Shao Kahn in this second movie. And we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, there's certainly a lot of story-wise, a lot of different ways that you can go with it. You could build on the whole Scorpion thing as well. And maybe they decide whatever they decide to do with Sub-Zero. I know what happened in the final fight, but you can't. I, I don't see them ditching Sub-Zero. I'm sorry. I just don't. They'll, they'll find a way. Just like any good comic book slash video game movie, you find a way. So we'll see what happens with the Mortal Kombat sequel, which I don't think we're going to be seeing anytime soon anyway. So they've, they've got plenty of time to, store, to sort of hash this out. A couple of trailers I want to talk about for some, for some stuff that's kind of different. On the horizon. The first one is Bel Air from Peacock, which is going to be out on February the 13th, right after the big game. And I got to say, first of all, one of the reasons I'm talking about this is that I just think that, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, you watched Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And this Bel Air series looks to me very, very different. And I think that that's the tone that they're taking. Obviously, it's going to be more dramatic than what we saw in the role that Will Smith had. But I got to tell you, and I'm cautious about stuff like this. And anytime there's a reboot of something that's been done a while ago, and you know this if you listen to the show before, I'm usually cautious about this. But for some reason, this one strikes a chord with me. And I think it actually looks like it could be very, very interesting. I mean, you've got very different takes on Will. you got very different, a very, very different take. On Carlton, Carlton's like the made man in Bel Air and at Bel Air High, which I think is very, very interesting. Obviously, still smart, but got a little bit more of an edge and an attitude to him. Uncle Phil, I think Uncle Phil's not as different as you think he is. If you're looking at this trailer objectively, like uh, Uncle Phil was was always pretty hard on Will for his own good sort of thing. And I think that we're going to see that just kind of turned up. A little bit. Aunt Viv, I think, is going to be another very, very supportive voice in the room, though. I think she's going to play a larger role in Will's development here. And and Hillary, I love I love the direction that they're going with Hillary in this one, too. Not not quite as ditzy. All right. Actually, not ditzy at all from what we've seen in the first trailer. But what you see in this new teaser that they just released is kind of how things all unravel. And yes, it still happens on the basketball court. And yes, you know, you know, Will maybe is a little bit, you know, immature and, you know, not ready 
to be dealing with the hard life that he had in Philly or could have in Philly. And of course, that leads his mom to send him to Bel Air. I still think that there's going to be plenty of fun to be had. We saw that in the first trailer and seeing how Will just kind of doesn't fit in in the beginning. And they crank that up a little bit. And that's for obviously for a couple of different reasons that they're highlighting in that first trailer. And then it's, you know, it takes somebody like Hillary and, and I'm going to be like, Hey, you know, just be you, be you. And that's, what's really gonna turn things around for you. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, what better message for, for the nerd community. And I say that with love, obviously than to just be you think about the day where you decided, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks about the stuff that I love and the stuff that I, I, I really, really want to consume and, and, and I want to talk about and, and to hell with what everybody else thinks. I'm just going to love what I love and let that be enough. Think, remember that day, right? How freeing that was. And I think that's part of the message of Bel Air. And I just think that taking this in a more dramatic tone, but really, really thinking about it and considering how to do it and do it well I think it's one of the reasons that this thing's going to succeed. So Bel Air going to be premiering February the 13th on Peacock. And I'm very curious to see how this is going to turn out. Yes, I will have a review coming up either here on the podcast or on our website. There's something else I wanted to talk about in a completely opposite side of the spectrum. And it's something that looks like it's going to be really, really fun. It's called Murderville from Netflix, which is going to be premiering on February the 3rd. So we're not too far away from now. Will Arnett is the star of this thing. And it's actually a pretty cool concept. Will Arnott plays senior detective Terry Seattle. Okay. Now, now follow me on this one just for a second. And you know, there's a new murder case that they have to solve, but there was also celebrity guests that are going to be on the show. But here's the twist. And here's where I think it's interesting is that the celebrity guests aren't given a script. So they have no idea what's about to happen. And they're basically just improving their way through the entire show that they're in. And if you see the trailer and you see Conan O'Brien is is one of the guest stars, that then it looks really, really fun. Marshawn Lynch, I think, yes, the former NFL player, I think is going to steal the show on this one. I'm sorry. Ken Jeong's going to be a part of this. You've also got Sharon Stone. Kumal Nanjiani is going to be a part of this. Annie Murray as well. Yeah, it, it, it just looks like there's so much fun being had just in the trailer never mind anything else and you could see will arnett trying to get them to break too which is really and you see it happen a couple of times so yeah i I just think that this one looks really really fun it looks like you know in this in the style of like a whose line is it anyway but also mix again with a little bit of like the naked gun trilogy type style too this just looks really really fun and i think something that if if comic-con were happening right now this thing would be at Comic-Con and you'd want to go to this panel because it just looks like a blast. So Murderville going to be premiering on Netflix February the 3rd. Yeah, I'll have my review coming up next week on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Also, we're going to move on to Peacemaker, which the according to uh, several articles that I saw and, and one that was retweeted by James Gunn himself, number one show, number one streaming show in the world. And why wouldn't it be? It's awesome. So speaking of Deadline, though, apparently... James Gunn said to Deadline that we could could be getting another spinoff series set in the same world 
of the Suicide Squad too. Now, if you follow me on Twitter at James Ace Witham, that's my Twitter handle. I'm begging for a vigilante spinoff series at this point. I think that that character has been done so, so well in this series, both from a comedic standpoint, from a dramatic standpoint, just the, just who this character is and how he's been crafted by James Gunn has been brilliant. And one of my favorite parts of Peacemaker, I don't care if it's a series that happens after Peacemaker or before don't care. Give me a vigilante series and give it to me now because I would consume the hell out of that thing and I would have no apologies for it. However, if it's not going to be vigilante, who's it going to be? Now, I know you're looking at it and you're going, okay, this is our chance for Harley Quinn. This is our chance for Bloodsport. And I'm like, you know what? Not going to happen. Idris Elba's too busy. Margot Robbie's too busy. And, you know, if you're you're not going to get multiple seasons of a Harley Quinn series anyway. So is that something you'd want? And same thing with, with Bloodsport. You're not going to get multiple seasons of that. James Gunn said there's a pretty good chance of a Peacemaker season two. That could happen. And it's not because these, these actors don't want to play these characters. They just have other stuff that they need to be doing. And plus, don't you want Harley Quinn to be available for DC Universe movies and maybe get her own movie too. Nothing, not that there's wrong with an HBO Max series. Nothing wrong with that. I'm one of the people that says, you know, why is streaming get such a bad rap when something gets sent straight to streaming? It gets talked about more anyway. Why wouldn't you want something go straight for streaming unless it's, you know, something that's like Spider-Man No Way Home where you know, well, you know, no matter what you do, it's going to get chatter. So I'm a big proponent of streaming, but I'm looking at characters more like Ratcatcher 2. Because to me, when I remember watching The Suicide Squad, I'm thinking, this is a character I want more of, and I need more of her story. And I think that, to me, is the character you've got to zero in on. Especially since James Gunn did say that it would that this new series, if it were to happen, would not be as much of a comedy as Peacemaker. And to me, that jives more with Ratcatcher 2 than a lot of the other characters. Like, it's not going to be Rick Flagg. I don't see them doing that. I don't know why you'd do that. You're not going to go with a character like, you know, Javelin or something like that. That's just not going to happen, okay? It's not going to be TDK, so I don't think you're going to get a Nathan Fillion series out of this whole thing. Ratcatcher 2 just, to me, makes the most sense, and I think that that's a character that did surprise a lot of people when they watched The Suicide Squad, and I don't think I'm alone and wanting more from that character. So I'm kind of hoping that that's the route that they go. If I don't get my vigilante series that I really, really want, I'd actually take either one. I'd be very happy with either one. And just give me both then. You know, I'm going to be greedy right now. I want both. And let's just do that. You might have heard about the potential sale of the CW that's coming up. The network is being shopped. Of course, that kind of peeks into what the future of the Arrowverse is going to look like there's been some talk about, you know, should the Arrowverse just end? And I wanted to talk about something really quickly because we're on the, at the two year mark now since Arrow ended. Can you believe it's been two years since Stephen Amell hung up the hood and the bow for the last time? And that actually popped up on my Facebook memories the other day. And I thought to myself, wow, it's, it doesn't seem like it's been two years, but it has now. Do I think the Arrowverse should end? 
Yes and no. And I'll tell you, and let me explain that a little bit. I think the Arrowverse as we know it, or as we knew it, has definitely run its course. Now, does that mean I think, you know, you need to cancel The Flash, you need to cancel... No, I don't think any of that. I think The Flash will end with a 10th season. That's what I think. That's my opinion. I have no inside information on that or anything. I think a 10th season of The Flash will be it. And, you know, you could argue maybe, you know, that show's run its course and it shouldn't get 10 seasons. There's still more story to tell there. They really do a great job of crafting that story and and letting it have the ability to have that longevity. And Legends is just nuts. You never know what they're going to do. You never know where they're going to go. And that show could run forever. That is a Simpsons-esque, South Park-esque type of show that the way that they do it, you could run that show forever and and, and still have fun with it. So do I think that they're going to do that? Probably not, but you certainly could. What the Arrowverse needs to do because I don't think it's the same without Arrow. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. And that's not to say that they're not putting out great shows. I still think they are. What I'm saying is is that maybe it needs to evolve into more of a Superman-verse. Or Superman and Lois-verse. I think you need to have a new flagship series and let that go from there. Now, you have Superman and Lois, which is doing very well. I think Naomi is off to a great start. Say what you want, but Batwoman has been telling a great story this season. And that is a show that not nearly enough people are giving a chance for, and and a lot of them not giving it a chance for a very, very stupid reason. So that is a show that you should be watching if you're not. And actually, there's a couple stupid reasons that someone might not be watching Batwoman, but I'm not going to pick at that scab right now. I'm just saying that this is a show that you need to watch. We've got the new Justice U show that's probably going to get picked up by the CW at some point with David Ramsey taking the lead. There's John Diggle. And, you know, that opens the door for, okay, well, there's an Arrow character that's coming back. Well, not really. I think that Diggle's moved on from being just an Arrow character, and I think that that's well-established at this point, right? At least I think it is anyway. So I think that this is a good opportunity to evolve this from not just being the Arrowverse anymore and starting something new. That doesn't mean you just forget about the Arrowverse entirely. I think that what the Arrowverse was able to do over the last, let's say, decade is commendable. And a lot of moments that I'll never forget in television and as a DC fan. But at the same time, it doesn't feel the same and it feels like it's a good time to move on because it's always going to be the Arrowverse to me. I'll never call it the other thing that they want us to call it, ever. I won't do that. I think it's a slap in the face to the foundation that was built by the by Arrow from the beginning. But if you want to evolve this to the future, you pick a new flagship show, you call it that, and then you just you're not starting over. It's like a soft reboot, right? It's like you're just going to continue the success that you were already having with a certain series and then let other series not necessarily spawn off of that, but make sense in the same world as that show. Because they did a great job with that, starting with Arrow and branching out from there. And they really did. If you go back and look at how they went from Arrow to Flash to Legends of Tomorrow to Supergirl and so on and so forth, the way that they actually were able to do that was pretty impressive. 
and that will you can never take away from that. But yeah, it does feel like it's time for somebody else to finally pick up the ball and take the lead. And I'm not saying that the Flash never did that. I'm just saying it just seems like they were never allowed to do that, and Arrow is still looming there a little bit. But you really do have a chance to start something anew if you want to, and how this sale potentially affects how that's going to happen going forward, we'll just have to wait and see. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Mar- Margarita Leviva and Adam Glass for joining me this week to talk about In From the Cold on Netflix. Make sure you're streaming that this weekend. Also follow along with us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Always online at downandnerdypodcast.com and make sure you're subscribing to the show as well wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.